Thank you, Shane, and thanks for all who have come to be a part of this weekend with us. You know, I realize that many of you are kind of in and out, you know, um, on Sundays, and some of you, this is your first week with us, or just here for the weekend as a part of our journey, and let me kind of bring you up to date a little bit. We, we've been on a, a journey and a, a dialogue, really, as a church. We've been kind of on a faith quest, if you will. You know, um, it started back in August, where we recognized as a church that we, though we may not know very much about them, we, we may not really be able to understand the world they lived in or whatever, there's, there's a lot of the, the tendencies of the blood of the Ephesians Christians that could pump through our veins. Because Jesus, when he wrote to them in the book of Revelation, he told them, he says, you know, you, you guys, you stand for the truth, you preach the truth, you make sure that the truth, truth is taught, you do the basic works, but he says, I got this against you. You've left your first love. And we recognize as a church there's many ways in which we can, we can be all about the truth. We can be all about the things that, you know, are, are about doing church life and that kind of stuff. But in the midst of all of that, there's a way in which we can fall out of love with Jesus. It's kind of like being in a marriage maybe where there hasn't been any unfaithfulness or there's no abuse, but there really is no passion, no spark. It's just kind of there every day. And so we've been responding to the challenge of Christ to remember, to repent, and to do the deeds that, he is, that we did at first. And that's a direct quote from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 6, where Jesus told these Ephesians, he says, listen, you need to remember from where you have fallen. You need to repent, and you need to do the deeds that you did at first. So we've been trying to remember what does it mean to be head over heels in love with Christ? What, what, what is it like to, to live life where our passion is to know Christ and to be like Jesus? Then we have been trying to figure out what it is that causes our love for Christ to leak out of our lives and to stop that stuff. You know, we got that tremendous spiritual counsel from that comedy clip from Bob Newhart where he simply just said, stop it, you know, just stop doing that stuff. And we've been trying to figure that out. And then in these last weeks, we've been processing what does it really mean for us to do the deeds that we did at first? Part of what we've recognized is that if we're going to be head over heels in love with Christ, we have to be in love with the things that Jesus is in love with. If we're going to be like Christ, the things that he cares about are the things that we've got to care about. Now, that, that's a big, big elephant to eat. But we've been trying to bite it down into, into four chunks. One of those, we've understood, understood that if, if we're going to be head over heels in love with Christ, if we're going to be compelled by Christ's love, then we have to be a people who are passionate about reaching others for Christ. You know, Jesus said, I, I, you know, that I came so that I seek and to save that which is lost. His mission, his life passion, was to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, he told a parable that really presented the kingdom as a banquet, and he was the master. And at the end of this story, of this, he, said, he, he said to his servants, he'd go out and he says, and compel them, make them come in to the kingdom. We've been struggling with what it means to really be a people who are compelled to reach others because of our love for Christ. Then we moved on to the idea of connecting. We know that on the last night of Christ's life, he offered this prayer. 
He says, Father, I know that you and I are one. I pray for them to be one as we are one. We need to be connected to one another. And then we looked at that passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus was talking about um, restoring a brother who has falled, uh, you know, a church discipline kind of thing as, as some would like to look at it. And at the very end there he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And we discover from that passage that when we gather together, we, we, we receive like a, a special dispensation of the presence and the wisdom and the authority and the conviction of Christ. We need to be connected to one another and we need to be compelled to connect and we need to be compelled to help other people connect. And then last week we, lo- we looked at our third deed and that is to grow. You know, and when Jesus describes the church in the book of Ephesians, what he says is this. He says, you know, I, I've given some to be apostles and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And I've done all of that so that the saints can be equipped. And as the saints are equipped for service and actually serve one another, then they can be unified in the faith and all of the body is built up into the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. The whole design, Jesus' whole passion for the church is so that it can create a climate where people can come to know and grow in Christ. That's his heart. That has to be our heart, to grow in Christ and to help others grow in Christ. And today we come to our last deed. We kind of caught up in this whole dialogue, and we come to the idea of service. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, he says, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'd like for us to look at that passage in context today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 20 with me. The book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. You're using one of our pew Bibles, and you should find one in the seat back, seat uh, underneath your seat or in a seat close by to you. <coughs> You'll find our text today in page 833. As all things in the gospel, (laughs) as all things in the gospel, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. So there's been a journey going on. The transfiguration has already taken place, meaning that three of the disciples got an inside look at who really Jesus is, as his glory shone from the inside out. Jesus has been ramping up his teaching about what's going to come. Disciples don't really understand it but they know that some cataclysmic event is going to happen soon that's really going to change things and launch the kingdom. From this side of the cross, we know it involves the cross. From that side, they were struggling to really understand that. Jesus had been spending some time talking about them sitting on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that happens at the end of the previous chapter. And so there's lots of things running around in these guys' heads, and they've been struggling with what does it really mean to be great. They've been arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. And so here we find them in this context, kind of anticipating the end, still struggling, not really underseeing. And we pick up in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached her with her sons. Those sons would have been James and John. We know that their mother was the sister of Jesus' mother. So they would have been cousins of Jesus. Half-cousins, to be exact, but cousins of Jesus. His, their mother would have been his aunt, Aunt Salome. So she 
They, they, so they, they're family, right? So they know things are about ready to happen. They're still struggling with all of this, and they come, and so she kneels down and, and asks for something. And so Jesus says to her, what do you want? She says, promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. It's like somebody coming to the, say, well, when you're elected president, make my son vice president and the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Give, give them the real positions of authority because they're family, right? You know, family first. You've got to give them these roles. And Jesus says, you know, you don't know what you're asking. Are you really able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Oh, sure we are, they told him. We are able. And he said, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the disciple, ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. It wasn't so much that they were saying, well, you know, Boy, how could you guys stoop so low? But it was this idea of how could you guys play the family card to get the inside track for these positions? We shouldn't have that kind of paternalism, you know? We, we, you know and they're mad because they want those positions. But Jesus called them all over. He said, okay, let me say this again. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. And the men of high position, they exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, the absolute opposite. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus gives us this great picture. I came, my whole life is about serving and to give my life as a ransom for many. So his passion is going to be our passion, and our passion has to be to serve. Now, for many of us, that, that hits our ears, and we say, yeah, I, I get that. But he, he, I want to make an argument this morning that by and large, the church, and therefore, by and large, most of us, we don't get it. When we read this passage of Scripture, and we hear this kind of a term, we say, well, yeah, I'm there, I'm a servant, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think we get it. I know there's many times in my life I don't get it. You know, we, we have a tendency still to think about service as something that's pleasing. It makes us feel good. It's gratifying. You know, it's got this noble kind of honor thing. It, may, it, makes us, it raises our image among our neighborhood and our friends and stuff because we serve. You know, it's, it's nice to get up one Saturday a month and go down and volunteer for a couple of hours at the food pantry or to serve a meal, and it makes us feel good, and we're servants. And and somehow or another, we think that qualifies us to be people who are compelled to serve. And I got to tell you, I think we don't get it. I don't think I don't, I don't get it. Now, now, here's my rationale from the text, okay? A couple of things. First of all, as Jesus is interacting with his disciples, he says, okay, oh, oh slow down a minute. He says, I want you to look north. I want you to look south. I want you to look east. I want you to look west. You don't see one example of living life the way that I'm telling you to live life. You can look north, you can look south, you can look east, you can look west. You can look at all the nations of the world, all the way around to where they interconnect, and you're not going to see one example of living life the way that I'm talking about. 
Because what they do is they exercise power. The objective is to get ahead, not to get down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a totally different... And so what Jesus is talking about here is a way of living that is radically counter-cultural. The world just does not do life this way. And the, from the moment we're born in the delivery room, everything around us is teaching us to do life in a different way. Protect up. Don't expose yourself. Get ahead. You make, sure, make sure you have all the resources. You know, nice guys, like all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, I want you to put all this stuff. You see how radical this is? These guys, these 12 disciples, all 12 of them didn't get it. Jesus is days away from ending his period of intense instruction in their life. He's about ready to, to offer it up. And, and, and here they are, after teaching, after teaching, watching his life, they don't get it because it's radically countercultural. Now, here's my word to me, and perhaps it's a word to you. If, if you haven't looked at this and made a distinct decision to get off the crazy train of getting ahead, you're still on it. Because this is the kind of decision and change of lifestyle that brings out the blood and sweat in us. It's, it's a hard kind of choice. And it takes radical change to make this happen. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, you know, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate the one or, and, and love the other. You know, you just can't do that. And he's talking here about God and mammon. You can't live life with two definitions of success. You can't. You can't say, you know what, my resume says I've achieved, or, and then I have over here the, the, the service I kind of do. You, you can't. You only have one set. It's a radical change. And I, I think most of us don't get it because we've never really struggled with the radical counterculturalness of becoming the slave of everyone. Now, the second reason I think that that's true. When Jesus describes this service, he's talking about it being leading to extreme sacrifice. James and John come with their mother. You know, Mark's account doesn't have their mother involved, so clearly James and John were the instigator. They might say, you know, but mom might have more influence over cousin than we would, so let's bring him along, right? And so they're, they're there, and, and Jesus said, you know, you, you guys don't know what you're asking for. Can you really drink the cup that I'm drinking? Now, folks, that cup didn't have Diet Coke in it. You know, it didn't have Welch's grape juice. It wasn't, your fa- it wasn't lemonade. You know, it, 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 you know, it's not a Shirley Temple. When he said, can you really drink the cup of sacrificial service to the will of God that I'm drinking? Now, for Jesus, that meant a betrayal, arrest, conviction, torture, crucifixion. That's what that cup meant. For, for James, it meant martyrdom. It's the first Christian martyr that we find in the book of Acts. For John, he got a worse punishment. He had to live on the planet and delay his experience of heaven until he was into his 90s. So he had to put up with the world and all of its hostility and the imperfection in the church and bear clear, faithful, sacrificial witness to Christ until he was in his 90s. And, and what he's talking about here is, is extreme sacrifice. Now, uh, how many of us, honestly, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, how many of us can say, I have served until it hurts? 
I've served to where it's killed me. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's extreme service. You know, and, and, and I don't know if how many of us have really signed up for it. We, we want to, and, and listen, all forms of service are tremendous. But if, if our cap is, well, I'm going to show up and I'll teach a class once a week for an hour in the children's wing, and that'll make me feel good that I'm doing my part for the kingdom. Or I'll show up one Thursday a day a month to try to help clean the building a little bit so it'll look preventable. And that's our service. We don't get it. Jesus is talking about having an identity that is driven by a passion to pour out ourselves to others in the name of Jesus Christ. And we serve until it kills us. And we love it. Now with that platform, let me extend the invitation that Jesus extended to his disciples. Whoever of you wants to be great, you can. All you got to do is be committed to being a servant and a slave of everybody. Life can't be about you anymore. Life has to be about Christ and sacrificially serving in his name. You see, there's an opportunity for every single one of us to be a high-flying success in the kingdom of God. We have that opportunity. You know, every single one of us can be in God's Forbes 100, you know, in terms of kingdom success, because it's available to every single one of us. Now, let me tell you, I, I think it involves a couple of decisions. The first of those is to whether or not you're really going to let Jesus pay your ransom. You know what he says here? He says, I came to give my life a ransom for many. Some of us, we, we've still been kidnapped by sin, and, and we are still in bondage and captive to a life without God, and, 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 and we have to be ready to accept the price that Christ has paid to buy us out of that captivity. We have to be willing to acknowledge our sin, to be experienced conviction for it, ask forgiveness for it, and embrace Christ as our rescuer and as our Savior and as our Lord. And there's no way that you can be compelled by Christ's love and be compelled to serve if you haven't been ransomed. But then the second choice that we have to make is to truly to be the slave of all. The slave of all. You know, and that's a, that's a tremendous challenge. Now, not to scare you, but I, I want to tell you where the rest of our dialogue is going. We, we've been talking about being compelled to reach, compelled to connect, to compelled to grow, and they're compelled to serve. Those things, rightfully so, should scare us, right? But then when Jesus says in John, if you believe in me, the things that I'll do, I've done, you will do, and even greater things than these will you do. What in the world does that mean? That we can do greater things than Christ to reach people. Greater things than Christ to connect people to the body. Greater things than Christ to grow the kingdom and to grow in him. Greater things in Christ to serve people. It's a powerful word for us to challenge. As we've been working through this series, we've been trying to not end the conversation prematurely. So on the back side of your sermon outlines, I have some questions I'd love for you to continue to process with God as we go along. By the way, the little red cards that you got in your bulletins this morning 
are related to that upcoming greater series. And we hope that you'll use them not only to spark your prayer to be ready for God to speak to you, but also to hand those out to other people that you know and invite them to come join us as a part of that, to reach people, if you will. But here's some questions I want to ask yourself. When, it, when you think about serving, is serving an item on your to-do list or is serving the mission of your life? Now, there's a do, difference between those two. Is, is serving something that's on your to-do list, I got to go help out at the food pantry this week, or is giving your life away to others in the name of Christ and for the kingdom just the natural bent of the way you do life? Does it really define who you are? Secondly, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sacrificial would you rate your service? What's the cost to you? You know, you go in the hospital and they say, are you having any pain? Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is your pain? You know, some of us are tended to lie because they give you better pain pills the more, the more pain you have, right? But being honest, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sacrificial, how much pain are we experiencing? as a result of our service. And then lastly, who can you serve right now? And which, for those of you who are sitting on the center aisle, would you reach underneath the seats, and there's a basket there. I'd love for you to pick up those baskets and just pass it down, and you're going to find a little packet of blue cards inside, all right? We'd love for you to take a packet, okay? Just stick it in your car or put it in your wallet or whatever. But we want to experiment with just an introductory, very introductory way of just serving our community and serving our region. And so we've developed these cards, and these cards say hacked on them. Now, this isn't, we're not talking about hacking into somebody's computer, you know, kind of thing, and planting viruses or whatever. And we're not talking about hacking people off, all right? What we're talking about are Hope Chapel's Acts of Kindness hacked. And we, we really want to be a people who hack Lots of folks around here in the name of Christ. We, we handed these out at our leadership launch back in August, just, just a sample copy of it. And several people have already been using the, using the one they had, and we already got a, a posting to our Facebook page. I guess somebody was going either through a, a drive-thru at a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's or whatever, and so they pulled up to the, to the window, and they said, you know, and they said, um, you know, they pay for their coffee and say, I want to pay for the coffee of the person behind me as well. And they said, and so they did, and they and they said, and just give them this card when they come through. So this person, they, they, they were really touched. And so not only did they pay for the coffee of the car behind them, but they also sent us an email and said, it made an impression on me. Now, there's lots of ways to use this. You can, you can dig out your neighbor's car and brush off the snow and stick this underneath their windshield and say, you've been hacked. You can bake a cake and put it in the middle of it. So when they cut through it, no, I'm only kidding. That's probably not a great idea. You know, you can do lots of good kinds of things. But I tell you, I want to challenge you to try to use it. This is a simple thing. This is the kind of stuff we should be doing all the time. You know, cutting our neighbor's grass. Helping My sister lost her wallet just before she came here. She's kind of panicking, whatever. Police called her. Said somebody found it, turned it in. Everything was still in it. You find somebody's wallet, you find their purse. Put a hack card in it. Maybe it's safer to tape it to the outside. But you know, see, there's lots of ways. In fact, I'd love for you to share ways, share with me the ways that you're using these cards to make a difference. And I know we're going to get more responses. But 
I don't want to trivialize what God's asking us to do. The way God has advanced the kingdom is when his people embrace not serving, but being servants. Let's be servants, not just people who serve. Let's pray together. Father, a lot for us to drink in today. You know, the, the 12 disciples didn't get it. This isn't the first time many of us have heard a message along this line, and we're still not sure we get it. But God, with, with a spirit of, of faith and openness, we say, God, help us to get it. Help us to find just sheer, exhilarating joy in giving ourselves away to others because your love flows in us. Let us love the pain, to feel the burn and to love it because we know it's making a difference in your kingdom. God, there's much for us to learn. For those who need to be ransomed today, Father, we pray that they would have the boldness and the conviction to take a step forward into the kingdom. Father, we, we hear you speak. And we seek to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.